Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today on the program, we welcome back Billy Crone and staff evangelist James Collins has a moment of prophecy. We're only 10 days away from the start of our first ever virtual prophecy conference, online and on demand. All Access Passes are available right now. With the All Access Pass, you can watch presentations by 10 different speakers. Register today by visiting our conference page at our website, swrc.com, or simply call 1-800-652-1144. Billy Crone is here now, continuing to unravel the modern-day genetic manipulation and transhumanism that is happening right in front of us. We are hosting a summer virtual prophecy conference beginning on July 30th. This conference will feature some of today's best Bible teachers, such as Bill Federer, Todd Friel, Michael Samuel Smith, Rabbi Kurt Schneider, Kenneth Hill, Larry Spargimino, and me, James Collins. Also speaking at the Summer Virtual Prophecy Conference is my guest on today's program, Pastor Billy Crone. He is the senior pastor of Sunrise Bible Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and the founder of Get a Life Ministries. Billy is here with me again to talk about his latest DVD called The End of of humanity, genetic manipulation, and transhumanism. Welcome, Pastor Billy. Thanks so much for being here again. Thank you, Pastor James. It's always great to be on. Well, at our virtual conference, you are scheduled to speak on the topics, Are You Ready for the Rapture and Satanism and the Rise of Devil Worship? And you spoke briefly about those yesterday. In case someone's joining us today for the first time, remind us again about those two topics you're going to be speaking about. Well, again, are you ready for the rapture? We're dealing with the rapture, which, of course, in and of itself is an imminent event. It could happen at any moment, so you need to be ready at any moment. And so basically we bring it down into the two categories of people on the planet, saved and unsaved. And if you're saved, then you need to be ready for the rapture. You say, well, I'm saved, I'm ready. Well, really? Think about this. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to find you doing something. My question to you is right now, not tomorrow, not some ideals that you have in the future. How's your walk with Jesus Christ? Because right now, if he were to come back today, and he could, before we even finish this broadcast, what's the status of your spiritual life, your walk with him? Are you goofing off? Are you backsliding? Are you worldly? Right? Are you being a bad example for Jesus, a bad advertisement? Or are you being a faithful Christian? You're still loving him, longing for his appearing, as the Scripture said we should be. You're sharing the gospel out to as many as you can, because that's why we're still here, waiting for that last Gentile to get saved. Right? So which one is it? Because guess what? If it's not the proper response, and on-fire Christian, loving him and serving him and sharing him with as many as you can, you better get right, because this is not a game. He's going to find you doing something. I don't know about you, but I'm praying that God would find me faithful when that day happens. But if you're not saved, the Bible's very clear. You're going to be left behind, and you're going to be thrust into this time frame called the seven-year tribulation, which Jesus said is the worst time in the history of mankind. So horrible that if God didn't shorten the time frame, i.e. keep it to just seven years, the entire human race would be destroyed. You don't want to be there. You need to get saved right now. Take this series because the rapture is imminent. It can happen today, and if you're not born again, you're in a heap of trouble. So take the way out. Don't scoff. Take the way out. God loves you. He's provided a way out. Don't get left behind. And, and the rise of Satanism, of course, we deal with that, and that's in uh, Revelation chapter 9, I believe. It talks about how one of the characteristics of the last day society in the seven-year tribulation is it's going to get so bad that people are not only involved in witchcraft and sorcery, pharmacia, which is what that word means, but it even says there 
they refuse to repent, even though they're in the midst of all these judgments coming from God, and they know it's from God. They even said, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They know this is coming from God. But their hearts are so hard and wicked, they refuse to repent and turn to God, because it says there that they would not stop worshiping demons, right? And that's what Satanism is. It's the worship of Satan, who's the biggest fallen demon of all. And so at that passage, if we're getting close to that time frame in the seven-year tribulation, then do we see signs of the occult rising and permeating throughout our society today, including Satan worship? Yeah. It hasn't gone away, folks. In fact, if anything, because the Church refuses to believe in a literal Satan, get this, 65% of the professing Church does not even believe in a literal Satan. Well, no wonder it's on the rise. He's having a heyday. He's having a free-for-all. We're the ones on the planet that should be calling it out, but we're giving them a free pass. And what we're seeing is Satanism itself, believe it or not, folks, it not only did not go away in the 80s and 90s, when there was a little bit of an uproar, but it didn't go away. It's now in our school system. It's now in the government. It's now in Hollywood. It's all over the media, the music, you name it. We expose all this. But what's crazy is it's in the church. It is absolutely in the church, and so we document that. And again, so that's, on the one hand, you shouldn't be surprised, because the Bible says that's the kind of society that's going to culminate in the seven-year tribulation. And the point for you and I is, if we're seeing even the rise of not just occult activity, but even Satanism itself, people worshiping demons, then guess what? The rapture's got to be that much more close, because we leave prior to the seven-year tribulation. So that's some of the things we'll be talking about. We'll learn. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray that. But Amen. Pastor Billy, my wife and I watched your DVD last week called The End of Humanity, Genetic Manipulation and Transhumanism, and she began to panic about the things that are at the grocery store. We are both amazed at what's going on in our world today with this genetic altering, these hybrids, these things that are happening out there. Now, the DVD has four teaching sessions. The first part is called Hybrids and the Return of the Days of Noah. Now, in case someone missed yesterday's program, tell us again about the days of Noah as described in Genesis 6 and how hybrids are making a comeback in this day that we're living in now. Yeah, basically, Jesus prefaces this point with Matthew 24, 37. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So how do you know it's getting close to the return of Jesus Christ? You're going to see a repeat of Noah's day. And the Bible says there's going to be a scoffing society, just like Noah's day. They scoffed and mocked at him. We see that today. The Bible also says that people's thoughts were continually wicked all the time. We certainly see that in our society. But the third thing was the other wickedness that sometimes people want to skip over, but we've got to deal with the Scripture. And it says there that the sons of God, the fallen angels, went and intermingled with the daughters of men, and it created some sort of hybrid that the Bible calls Nephilim, which literally in the Hebrew in the field means giants. And so there was some sort of weird offspring, if you will, a hybrid, and that's like God's last straw. That's it. I've had it with you guys. I'm going to wipe out the planet. Only known as family and the animals that I put on the ark are going to be saved. And basically God's hitting a restart button on humanity, on his creation. So the question is, okay, we, we know the first two, the scoffing and you know, business as usual, continual wickedness. We see that happening. But do we really see mankind and God's creation being hybridized out? Again, is my word there. And believe it or not, folks, yes, that's what this is all about. And it's not coming. It's not an idea sitting on the shelf, right? It's not some future dream of some elitist. It's going on and has been going on for years. Pick any plant, insect, animal, and human, and they're all being altered. And the alterations they're making to them are on the genetic level, down to the DNA level, and they're irreversible changes, which means 
what's called the germline, or in other words, the pattern of, you know, like just say if you alter this tomato plant, the tomato plants that come from that particular altered tomato plant are forever altered. You're constantly, continually moving away from the original. So you're saying, well, that'll take forever to make these changes to forever alter the germline of insects and humans. And no, we talked last time about gene sprays that could be sprayed over a mass area and instantly genetically modified organisms. But they have what's called a gene drive. And the gene drive drives the genetic changes in a whole species and forces it to change and not reverse. It's crazy. It's like, what are these guys doing? Are they deliberately trying to destroy? Well, again, I think the enemy is behind this because he's taken all of God's creation, and this is what he does. He twists it, contorts it, perverts it, and he's doing it. But Jesus told us 2,000 years ago, this is what went on the days of Noah that caused God judged the planet the first time. It's going to be repeated again, and it's going to add a whole other layer of why he's going to judge the planet a second time. But again, this is being done to plants and animals, and you think about that. You mentioned the grocery store, Pastor James. Well, guess what we eat as humans? We eat plants and animals, right? And so you're eating things that are genetically modified. And so the question is, well, can that modify you genetically? Because you think, well, I'll never go to a laboratory. I'll never let these guys genetically modify me and turn me into a hybrid. Well, guess what? It may already be happening. You don't even know it. This is what's called, to use the fancy word, epigenetics. And this is where you can turn genes on, turn them off. And they admit that there's ways for even humans to be genetically modified, and you don't ever once have to step into a laboratory. Let me give you a couple examples. They say that certain additives in plastics can modify your genome. About everything we cook with or drink out of or whatever is plastics, they say that could do it. A lack of exercise can alter your genome. A certain lack of nutrients can modify your DNA. And they're messing with our food supply, and we're not even getting the nutrients we need. That could do it. Childhood abuse, other forms of trauma can alter your DNA. And then, of course, the other big issue is you could ingest food that's been genetically modified. This is a direct quote from Consumer Reports, which last time I checked is not a Christian group, so you can't say those Christians are just being wacky conspiracists. They said, quote, pretty much every food sample that they tested contained GMOs, including things like breakfast cereals, baby formulas, veggie burgers, and even popular chip brands. Veggie burgers, what's the latest thing that they want to push on everybody? Kids, adults, you, whatever, you got to have it. You know, it tastes like meat, but why are you pushing veggie burgers when you admitted that that's a GMO thing and there's a risk of me getting genetically modified? Folks, I'm telling you, it's crazy. So that is a concern, and we should be concerned about it. But again, that's just if you don't ever go into the laboratory. Well, they're pitching these genetic modifications in humans on purpose that it's a good thing. They want you to go in the laboratory. In fact, they're brainwashing you and our society and thinking, yeah, hey, for, who cares if I'm sucking down genetically modified foods or getting a jab that's going to genetically modify? I want you to purposely take me to the lab and modify me. And they've been doing that with multiple parent babies. They've been doing that with editing babies. As sick as that is, folks, kids are the most vulnerable, right? They don't have an opportunity to say no or I'm going to take you to court or resist. They're just a baby. But they're using CRISPR. They're genetically modifying babies as you listen to this broadcast. And now they're pitching it to us as this. Well, hey, we can genetically modify your baby. We can make sure it has blue eyes instead of brown eyes. We can make sure it's blonde hair. We can increase the intelligence of your baby. And you're going like, wait a second. That sounds just like what Hitler was doing with the Jewish people. You're right. That's exactly what it is, folks. That's why it's not eugenics anymore. They call themselves newgenics. But that's all it is. They changed the term.
And then they're already, not coming, it's already being done, they're genetically modifying humans as well. Humans are being CRISPR'd, and they're saying, well, see, if we genetically modify your DNA, what we'll do is we'll go in with CRISPR, and we will take out that strand of DNA that's going to give you cancer. And then we'll splice it back together, and everything's great. Well, it sounds great, but listen to this, folks. Maybe, maybe, and they're not even sure about that, that if they take out that strand that possibly you could end up down the road with cancer. Listen, they are admitting this, that the DNA sequence is so complex, i.e. that God created, shocker, that even though they could take out one individual strand that granted was going to produce a negative effect, that one strand also did 13 other positive things for your body and your existence that you need for survival, but they took it out and you can't get it back. They don't even know what they're playing with, but they're doing it. They're hacking and slicing and dicing on insects and animals and our food supply and, and plants and humans. And then, as that wasn't crazy enough, we document this, they're now mixing and matching. It isn't just mixing and matching animals. They want to make a turtle duck, right? It's a duck that's half turtle and their turtles half duck. They're just playing games, folks, with God's creation. Humans and animals, they're already doing that with human and animals, right? Literal chimeras is what they call them. Again, their term that they use is human-animal hybrids or parahumans or humanimals, right? They've done human-cow hybrids, human-pig hybrids, human-mouth hybrids, rabbit eggs with human cells, pigs with human blood. That's freaky, folks. Sheep with human livers, cows with human cells, cat-human hybrids, a whole list. In fact, as far back as 2011, folks, 2011, just in the U.K., they had already done 150 human-animal hybrids. They grew them in a laboratory. And the rationale is this. Well, what we'll do is by combining humans and animals together, we will fix the organ donor crisis, right? Because what we'll do is we'll take the DNA of a human who needs, say, a heart, and we'll put that into a baby pig embryo and so that when that pig grows up, it doesn't just grow a heart. It grows a human heart inside that pig, and they say, listen, it's custom-tailored to the genetic makeup of that human, so that means when the pig grows up, we'll harvest, i.e. kill the pig, grab the heart, pop that into the human, and since it came from the DNA of the human, the person getting the transplant won't even have to take rejection medication. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? No, it's not, because they even admit this, folks. Just because you inject the human DNA into that pig embryo, you're hoping that it produces the heart. But listen, they admit, we can't control where it goes from there. And they admit, listen, it could go elsewhere into the body and grow other human parts, including, and I'm not joking, it's on tape, a human brain. And they say, well, that would be kind of a dilemma to have a pig walking around with a human brain. Uh, duh. And folks, you wonder why God's coming back to judge this planet? This is stuff that was repeated in Noah's day. And what did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. All three signs are happening as we speak, not just a scoffing society, a continually wicked society, but mankind is being hybridized out, and it's three for three. Last time I checked, three strikes, you're out. Jesus Christ is getting ready to come back. Amen. Well, if you're just joining us, I am talking with Pastor Billy Crone today. You talk in the video about how today's elites are working toward a post-human society. What is that all about? Well, it's basically called the transhumanist movement, and they're everywhere. These are current people like Elon Musk, Ray Kurzweil from Google, 
basically all the billionaire elites on the planet. You got politicians. You even have religious movements like the Mormon community. They're all behind this. And basically, transhuman means we want to use science and technology to quote transcend humans' limitations. And they want to genetically modify the whole planet, right? Because they believe in the live evolution. I mean, they're called the elites, right? So they know better than us by the very title. And so they take it upon themselves as these billionaire elitists. And they say, we need to improve humanity, whether they want it or not, because we've been put at this top level to aid in that transition. And what we're going to do is we're going to remake humanity in our image. And they say, we don't need God. We don't need Jesus. We can become our own gods. That's we can it. live forever with super health, super intelligence, and all that stuff. And folks, it's a real movement. It's really going on. It's spreading across the world just in time to have the backing, the science, the bucks. they got more money than they know what to do with, and the political clout globally to pull it off. It goes back to the lie that the serpent told Eve. They believe they can be their own god. Amazing. Pastor Billy, would you please just take a moment and tell our listeners how they can receive Jesus Christ? The Bible says that God is holy. We are not. The wages of our sin for unholiness is death. We deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. But God loves his creation, and that's why he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you and for me. And the Bible says that Jesus was taking the death penalty in our place. He was being punished for our crimes. And since he did the work, it's something that we receive by faith. It's a gift. That's why it's called the gift of eternal life. You don't earn it. There's no amount of good that you can do because you can't undo what's been done. You can't scrub the sin away. But Jesus' sacrifice can. And the Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the grave, you will be saved. Call upon his name. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you. Okay? And guess what? That means you will not only not go to hell for all eternity, but you will not go to hell on earth, i.e. the seventh year tribulation. Just like God provided a way out in the days of Noah, he's provided a way out today through Jesus Christ. First time it was a wooden ark, this time it's a wooden cross. There's only one way out. But please, take the way out today through Jesus Christ. Over the last two days, you've heard Billy Crone analyze these important topics of genetic manipulation and transhumanism. In his brand new DVD, The End of Humanity, Billy Crone goes into great detail on the topics of human hybrids, super soldiers, transhumanism, and the Battle of Armageddon. Over three hours of detailed information and analysis. Order your copy of The End of Humanity by Billy Crone for a gift of $15 or more. Call one 800 652 1144 or online swrc.com. Staff Evangelist James Collins is back to discuss the prophetic significance of the 23rd Psalm in today's Moment of Prophecy. The 23rd Psalm is one of the most familiar, famous, and loved passages in the entire Bible. There is no greater picture of the relationship that God has with his people than the picture in the 23rd Psalm, the picture of the shepherd and his sheep. Psalm 23 has comforted many heavy hearts, dried many tears, bandaged many wounds, given courage to the living, and comforted the dying. It's the most famous of all the Psalms. Even non-believers are familiar with David's masterpiece. However, most people are unaware of the prophetic significance of the 23rd Psalm. 
Psalm 23 is set in the middle of three messianic psalms that prophesy the coming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 presents the Messiah as the Savior. Psalm 23 presents the Messiah as the Shepherd. Psalm 24 presents the Messiah as Sovereign. The focus of Psalm 22 is the cross. The focus of Psalm 23 is the crook. And the focus of Psalm 24 is the crown. Let's talk for a moment about the cross. Psalm 22 has come to be known as the Psalm of the Cross. It's an amazing prophecy. One thousand years before Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, David described in graphic detail the crucifixion as if he were hanging on the cross himself. The 22nd Psalm opens with these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do those words sound familiar? They should. They are the same words that Jesus cried from the cross. In Matthew 27:47, we read, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthai. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself so that those sins could be judged and justified through his sacrifice, God and his holiness had to turn away. God gathered every sin that had ever been committed or would ever be committed by man and placed it upon his son. Jesus died and he took away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In Psalm 22, David described Roman crucifixion hundreds of years before the Romans even came on the scene. In the days when Jewish executions were accomplished by stoning, David vividly described the sufferings of the cross. He described the people beneath the cross gathered to laugh at Jesus when he wrote, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. He described the perspiration caused by the intense suffering with the words, I am poured out like water. He described his bones as being out of joint. He described the action of the effects of the crucifixion on the human heart when he wrote, My heart is like wax, it is melted. He described Christ's exhaustion with the words, My strength is dried up. He described the Lord's extreme thirst with, My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. He described Jesus being nailed to the cross when he wrote, They pierced my hands and my feet. He described the shame as the crowd gawked at the Messiah's body hanging on the cross with the words, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. He described the soldiers gambling with, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. David wrote these descriptions in Psalm 22 a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10:11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. When the Lord said these words, he spoke of his coming substitutionary death on the cross. This is the picture of Jesus in the 22nd Psalm. He is the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. Now let's talk about the crook. Psalm 23 is the shepherd's psalm. It is a beautiful picture of the shepherd who cares for his flock, leads us through the meadow, feeds us in green pastures, and quenches our thirst beside still waters. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear because our shepherd 
is there. The writer of Hebrews described the shepherd of Psalm 23 when he wrote, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The good shepherd of John 10 is now called the great shepherd. Notice also that the writer of Hebrews referenced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the picture of Jesus in the 23rd Psalm. He is the great shepherd raised from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant who tenderly cares for his sheep. Psalm 24 speaks of the crown. Psalm 24 is also known as the Psalm of the King of Glory, and it describes the coronation of the Messiah. The final verses of the psalm describe the triumphant return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 24, 9, the Bible says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The 24th Psalm foreshadows the establishment of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when the Lord will return and enter Jerusalem as the King of glory. It's a prophetic psalm that will ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus returns to earth in power and in great glory. The Apostle Peter wrote to encourage faithful church leaders with these words, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That's in 1 Peter 5.4. Peter assured those faithful ministers that they will be rewarded when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. The great shepherd of Hebrews 13 is now referred to as the chief shepherd. That is the picture of Jesus in the 24th Psalm. He is the chief shepherd who owns the sheep. When he comes, he will establish his throne. We who have served him faithfully will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. So Psalm 22 speaks of the cross. Psalm 23 speaks of the crook. And Psalm 24 speaks of the crown. Psalm 22 speaks of our past, of our sins being forgiven on the cross. Psalm 23 speaks of our present life on earth. And Psalm 24 speaks of our future in the coming millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 takes place on Mount Calvary in the past where they crucified the Lord. Psalm 24 takes place in the future on Mount Zion where he is coming back to rule and reign. And right now, Psalm 23 takes place in the present in this life, in the valley between the two mountains. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you live right now the Psalm 23 life. Today your life may be filled with darkness. From one sheep to another, I want you to know that you can trust the shepherd to get you through the valley. The New Testament book of Hebrews closes with a benediction that brings full circle the picture of the shepherd. In Hebrews 13, verse 20, we read, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The shepherd is coming back soon. Are you in his flock? This is James Collins reminding you that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
Be sure to get a copy of the End of Humanity DVD by Billy Crone for a gift of $15 or more. Call 1-800-652-1144 or online swrc.com. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.